Virgin's Old Time Radio. We have a cracker of a show for you tonight, gals and gents. Wash your black heads, sniff some borax, and enjoy this episode of Suspense entitled Cabin B13. Suspense. This is the Man in Black, here to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. In Hollywood this evening, our two distinguished stars are the lovely actress Margot and the polished young actor from Holland, Mr. Philip Dorn. A story by John Dixon Carr dealing with strange... Very strange happenings aboard an ocean liner and called Cabin B-13 is tonight's tale of suspense. If you have been with us before, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so with Cabin B-13, and with the performances of Margot as Ann Brewster and Philip Dorn as Dr. Carl Heinrich, we again hope to keep you in... Suspense! Come now, in happier peacetime days, to a great ocean liner on the night of her departure for Europe. There she is at the West 22nd Street Pier, the 25,000-ton Moravania of the White Planet Line. Smoke from her three funnels coils up lazily in mild October air. You can see the decks, white and shiny like shoeboxes, and the string of lights along them, and the band standing by on A-deck to play her out. You can hear the murmur of an excited crowd, and the rattle of the steam winches as cargo is lowered into the hold. You can see the bustle of activity, and the second officer standing at the head of the gangplank, as two rather late passengers hurry through the custom shed towards that gangplank. It's all right, Vicky. We are not too late. No, and I thought we'd be in time. <gasps> A honeymoon in Europe. Three whole months with nothing to worry about. That's right, dear. And you've been my wife for, let's see, practically five hours now. I believe the correct phrase is, is, ah, it was so sudden, Mr. Brewster. (laughs) (laughs) So sudden that we have to travel on our own passports instead of a husband and wife one. (laughs) I hope they don't think you're not an honest woman. I'm going to act like a complete wanton just to devil you. (laughs) Oh, what about our tickets, Ricky? Do we give them to that officer standing at the top of the gangplank? No, honey, you keep your ticket. The cabin steward will come around and collect it after we're underway. And... The money, Ricky? Mm, it's a lot of money, Anne. I ten thousand dollars in cash. Maybe I better turn it in at the purse's office for safekeeping. Yes, maybe you had. Wait a minute, Ricky. What is it then? Wait. Do you mind if we stand here for a second before we go up the gangplank? Oh, what's the matter? You're not ill, are you? No, but getting over brain fever isn't any joke. Oh, I know, dear. You see, Ricky, I. I ought to be eager and excited like all those people up there, but suddenly you get fancies. Queer, sick fancies. 
Suddenly, right now, all I can think of is the night and the wind and all the black water in the dark. And that's exactly the kind of morbid fancy I'm trying to cure you of. I know, Ricky. I'll be good, but I was just thinking of a story. What story? Oh, never mind. It, it doesn't matter. Which way do we go? Up the gangplank, through that door there, and then down in the elevator to B-deck. And no more horrors, do you understand? <laughs> B-deck and cabin number... Good Lord. B-13. B-13. You're not superstitious, are you? I know, dear. Not about things like that. Open the door. Here we are. Lights on and... Oh, Ricky, darling. It's a beautiful cabin. Well, best I could get. Well, I've got a luggage in anyway, and... Over there, madam, you'll find a basket of fruit and some books from your obedient servant. Oh, you are nice to me. And I'm feeling so much better, Ricky. I will be all right, darling. Well, of course you will. But uh, you won't find any detective novels among those books. Please. Please, Ricky. Detective novels may be all right for presidents and college professors, but they're straight poison to you. You'll read love stories. I like it. You know, Ricky... I keep thinking and thinking about that story I mentioned. Oh, what story, dear? It's an old one. You probably know it, but it was new to me. A woman and her daughter arrive in Paris and go to a hotel. Oh, you mean the old Paris exposition story? Yes, that's it. The daughter goes out. When she returns, her mother has disappeared. And even the hotel room isn't the same. The proprietor of the hotel swears the girl came there alone and that there never was a mother... The whole room is different when she goes back to look at it. The girl goes to the police, and they won't believe her, and she's nearly crazy. Of course, it turns out that the mother has caught bubonic plague and died, and they're hushing it up so that the visitors won't keep away from the city and ruin the whole exposition, and but... you've got to stop this kind of talk. I know. But imagine being in a situation like that, with all those queer eyes staring at you, wondering if you'd lost your reason... Wondering if your brain had cracked and the whole world might dissolve and... Listen. Well, that's the last call, Anne. We'll be underway any minute now. You know, Ricky, I would like to see the skyline go past and the Statue of Liberty and the rest of it. Oh, well, then why not go up and see it? I've got to deposit this money in the purser's office on CDEN. But I, I... I don't like you to leave me. Oh, now look here, dear. You don't think I'm going to disappear, do you? I suppose I don't, really. When I get these ideas, and I can't help it, Ricky, I wish you'd wallop me. <laughs> I'm not going to wallop you, man, <laughs> but you've got to stop being afraid. You certainly won't disappear in a crowded ship with any number of people all around you. And as for me, <laughs> I defy Houdini himself to make me vanish. Don't talk like that. I'm not going to vanish, and neither is this cabin, dear. Now, run along. I'll join you on deck as soon as I can. All right, Ricky. I'll be good. In with your gangplank! In with your gangplank! Gangplank, please, sir. Close the rails. Stand by. Eager people, excited people, happy people, all crowding up to the rail to wave goodbye. Nothing to worry about. Nothing on their minds except... Except what? Oh. Except seasickness, madam? Oh. 
Oh, I beg your pardon. I hadn't meant to startle you, believe me. Please don't mention it. How silly of me. It was my fault. I, I haven't been very well. I noticed it, madam, if you'll forgive me. That was why I spoke to you. As you see by my uniform, I'm the ship's doctor. This is a British ship, isn't it? But you don't sound British. No, I'm an Austrian, madam. Dr. Paul Heinrich, at your service. I'm not very popular in my own country today. Days of colored shirts and vacant minds. I'm Mrs. Brewster, doctor. Anne Brewster. When does the ship go? In about a second, Mrs. Brewster. You will hear the whistle, then the band will strike up, all langs in, and then... We're moving, aren't we? Yes. Don't you feel the vibration of the engine? I imagine this is not your first crossing, madam. Oh, I'm afraid it is, Dr. Heinrich. My husband's crossed many times, he tells me, but not on this ship. Well, then I hope you're a good sailor. Why, Dr. Heinrich? Well, because we'll run into some very dirty weather once we are out at sea. October is a very bad month for traveling. Well, if I do get seasick, doctor, I'll rush straight to you, and I'll expect to be cured. <laughs> Let me tell you a secret, madam. There are two common ailments for which medical science has no cure. One is ordinary seasickness, and the other is hangover. <laughs> Tomorrow morning I shall be dealing with both. And enjoying it? Oh, no, 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 no. Sympathizing with it. That's all I can do. How do you like the Moravania? Oh, it's a magnificent ship from what I've seen of it. And you know they've given us a very nice cabin down on B-deck, B-13. What's the matter? Why are you looking at me like that? I beg your pardon, did you say B-13? Yes, why not? You're quite sure of that, madam? Why, yes, of course I'm sure of it. I, I saw the number on the door, why not? Well, because... Go on, Dr. Heinrich. Because there's no such cabin aboard a ship. I'm not joking, Mrs. Brewster. You see, some people are superstitious. Many ships, like this one, omit number 13 on each deck. You must have been mistaken. What are you trying to tell me? Do you think I saw something that wasn't there? No, no, Mrs. Brewster, not at all. Then come along I with only... me. I'll show you. I'll prove to you that there is a number 13. Will you come along? Yes, Mrs. Brewster. I think perhaps I had better escort you. <laughs> Yes, miss. Yes, ma'am. Come in straight away. Tell me, stewardess, this is B-deck, isn't it? B-deck, ma'am? Oh, yes, ma'am. No doubt about that. Dr. Heinrich and I have been all over this part of the ship looking for cabin number 13, but we don't... I've been trying to convince this lady stewardess that there's no such cabin, uh, cabin number 13 on this ship. Why, there sure to heaven isn't, ma'am. And never has been. I've served aboard the Moravania a matter of eight years, and I ought to know. But I tell you, I saw it. I was in there. It was a big cabin with a private bathroom attached. The walls were paneled in light oak, and the furniture was rosewood and yellow satin, and the portholes were like real windows. Oh, no, that's not much good, ma'am. No, I'm afraid not. 
Most of the caverns hereabouts look like that. May I ask you, what name was the cavern booked in? Brewster, naturally. Mr. and Mrs. Richard E. Brewster. Yeah, let's have a look on my list. No. No, there's no Brewster here, ma'am. I tell you, I was in there. They even delivered the luggage. I saw it. Excuse me, ma'am. But I had a look-see in all the cabins I'm in charge of, just to see if the passengers wanted anything. And I don't remember any luggage with a Brewster label on it. Wait a minute. There may be a partial explanation of this. Ah, you see, that's better, Mrs. Brewster. I was hoping you might find one. Ricky, that's my husband. Ricky and I have only been married a very short time, and when my maid printed the baggage label, she she must have made them out in my maiden name. I never noticed at the time. Oh, what name might that be, ma'am? Thornton. Anne-Marie Thornton. Oh, Lord, miss. Now, why couldn't you have said that before? I remember it well. Um, two silk cases and a little trunk. They're in B-16 now. Where's B-16? Right behind you, miss. You're standing practically in front of the door. Oh, thank goodness, you. Oh, yes, but uh, what about my husband's luggage? There's no gentleman's luggage in that cabin, miss. Your husband's or any other gentleman's. If you know what I mean. I won't stand for this. Where's Ricky? What have you done with Ricky? Please, Mrs. Brewster. There's oh. one easy way to settle this. Settle it? How? Just look down the corridor. You notice the man coming towards us? The man with the two gold stripes around his sleeve? Well? That's Mr. Marshall, our second officer. Did you ever see him before? I... Uh, yes. Yes, of course I have. He was standing at the top of the gangplank when Rick and I got aboard. Mm, exactly. So he might be able to tell us something. Oh. Mr. Marshall? Mr. Marshall. Yes, Doctor. What's up? Would you mind coming here for a moment? Well, not at all, old boy. Always glad to oblige a chap who may have to cut me up at any moment. Eh? <laughs> what may I do for you? Take a good look at this young lady and what? tell me, have you seen her before? Seen her before? <laughs> My dear chap, if I had overlooked a uh, young lady, will pardon me, I know, a passenger as charming as this lady is, I would be less of the gentleman than I fancy myself, eh? <laughs> you saw her coming, coming aboard tonight? Oh, yes, certainly. And, uh, of course, you saw the gentleman who was with her. The, uh, gentleman who was with her? Yes, yes, yes! Oh, uh, but there was nobody with her, old boy. You're quite certain of that, Mr. Marshall? Oh, my dear doctor, she was the last of them to come aboard. I take my Bible oath, there was no other passenger with her, or ahead of her, or behind her, if it comes to that. You're lying, you're lying to me. Please, what? please, Mrs. Brewster, lower your voice. I know what it is. It's the old Paris trick, like in the story. But you won't get away with it, do you hear? Now, look here, madam. I'll go to the purser, I'll go to the captain. Oh, dear Father in heaven, won't anybody believe me? <laughs> Later that night, in the captain's room just abaft the bridge, there is a conference of ship's officers. Outside, stung by spray, clinging to the bulkhead rail in the dark, a frightened girl waits until the door of the cabin's room opens. Will you bring the young lady in, Dr. Heinrich? Close the door. Yes, sir. Here we are. This is Captain Wainwright. Now, just tell your story straightforwardly and... Uh... Please, don't excite yourself. Well, um, maybe we can get some decision into this matter. Will you sit down here beside my desk, Miss Thornton? My name is Brewster, Captain. Mrs. Anne Brewster. Ah, whatever you say, Mrs. Brewster. Thank you very much, Captain. 
I might tell you, ma'am, I've got a lot on my mind already. My first officer comes aboard with an attack of flu. I'm facing an equinoctial gale short-handed, and now this has to happen on top of it. I'm terribly sorry. I can't help that, Captain. But I want to know what they've done with Ricky. Just one moment, please, while I get this straight. By this time, I understand, you yourself have personally interviewed practically every single passenger aboard this ship. Is that true? Yes, it's true. But your alleged husband is not here. Is that true? Yes, that's true, In but the I... meantime, the purser has sent a squad of men to search this ship. They've searched every inch of it. You can take my word for that. There's nobody hidden. Your husband's not here. According to Mr. Marshall, who's standing over there... I see him. According to Mr. Marshall, he never was here. Oh, hang it all, Miss Thornton. You needn't glare at me like that. We couldn't see the chap. He wasn't there, now could we? Be quiet, Mr. Marshall. Yes, I, I, I'm sorry. No, I'm... I'm not unreasonable, Mrs. Brewster. I think you'll admit that. But what can I do? What can I say? Can you offer any proof, even, that this husband of yours ever existed? Proof? Yes, of course I can. I... Excuse me for interrupting, but would you mind, Captain, if we ask a question or two? No, Doctor, go ahead. I tell you I'm going daft myself. If you were married, Mrs. Brewster, you must be carrying a joint husband and wife passport. Where is that? Well, there wasn't time to get one. We each carried our own passport. Oh, I see. But still, there must be someone back in America who can confirm what you say if we got in touch by radio telephone. Your parents, for instance. I haven't got any parents. They're dead. What about relatives, then, or a guardian? My guardian is a trust company. The administrators don't even know I'm married. But somebody must have performed the ceremony of marriage, the pass, and the justice of peace. Yes, of course, of course, but... Oh, I... I, I can't remember the name of the town. You don't remember the name of the town? Well, tie to your chair, Mrs. Brewster. The ship is going to pitch again. How's the glass looking, Mr. Marshall? Uh, oh, uh, barometer's rising, sir. This weather won't hold long. We shall be in the fog before morning, though. There are enough fog now, if you ask me. This lady says she... I'm terribly sorry, but I, I, I'm trying to think of it. It was a little town in upstate New York where they can marry you at a moment's notice. Ricky kept the certificate. I... I was confused. I haven't been well. No, you haven't. You see, Ricky had been away and he came back and... I was in love with him, and he, he sort of swept me off my feet, and... Oh, what's the use? Uh, not much use, apparently. If you'll take my advice, ma'am, you'll go below to your cabin and get some sleep. I'll send the doctor down to make sure you're sedative. You think I'm crazy, don't you? I... I think you're a little overwrought, ma'am. What I can't understand is why. Why? Why should you want to do this? It can't be the bubonic plague this time. Bubonic plague, ma'am? Who said anything about the bubonic plague? Never mind. But I'll show you. You're all against me, except maybe the doctor. But I'll show you. I'll prove it to you. I am going downstairs, and I don't want anybody to follow me. Good night. Good night, all of you. Well, I'm glad that's over. Look here, Mr. Marshall. Huh? You think it's quite safe to trust her out there alone? Well, I don't know, sir. She's mad as a hatter, if you ask me. You think she might uh, do something foolish? Well, I think she might chuck herself overboard if we're not careful. What's your opinion, Doctor? I can give you my opinion, gentlemen, in a very few words. 
That girl is as sane as you are. What's that? Wait and hear what I have to say. I shared your own belief at first, but I've been talking to her all evening. I've heard her whole story, and there's not a psychopathic trait in her nature. She firmly believes in this husband. Yes, Doctor. A lot of people firmly believe they're Napoleon, but they get tossed into loony bins, that's the same. This matter is not a joke, Mr. Marshall. I tell you, this man exists. Or did exist. What do you mean, Doctor? I suppose did he has exist. been murdered. Perhaps he has been murdered and thrown overboard. Murdered? Thrown overboard? If you remember, Richard Brewster was carrying a very large sum of money in cash. His wife's wedding gifts. Practically all her inheritance. He meant to go to the purser's office. But he never got there. That money might have been a great temptation... To whom? To a stewardess, perhaps, or even to, uh, to a ship's officer. Just exactly what are you getting at? Well, numbers on doors can be changed easily enough. You sprint a small card and put it on the metal slot on the door. I still want to know you what you're driving at. If you use your intelligence, gentlemen, I think you will understand how a man can be made to vanish into thin air. And uh, why Mr. Marshall saw never another passenger. You still don't see it? No, I do not. Well, then listen. And I'll explain exactly how it was created by him. Four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock, the hour of suicides and bad dreams. The gale has subsided, the sea is calm. The SS Moravania creeps blindly at barely eight knots through a thick and strangling fog. The whole ship is dark and sealed up in sleep. There's no sound in all that mournful dimness, except when the foghorn cries out a warning overhead. Even cabin B-16 is dark. And Brewster, still fully dressed, lies restlessly across one of the birds, her head almost touching the intercabin telephone. <sighs> what was... Oh, I thought I heard... <sighs> telephone. Yes? Hello? It's me, Anne. Uh, take it easy now. Ricky! Ricky, where are you? Quiet. Keep your voice down. Where are you, Ricky? What happened to you? Are you hurt? No, I'm not hurt, but he nearly got me. Who who nearly got you? Listen, dear. I can't explain over the phone, and I don't dare go down there. Can you meet me up on deck? Yes, of course. Where? Do you know the boat deck? Boat deck? Uh, which one is that? The top deck, where all the lifeboats are slung. Oh, yes, I know it. Well, go to the starboard side. Yes? Uh, that's the right-hand side, facing yes. forward. And find the fourth lifeboat from the aft companionway. Yes. There's a thick fog, and nobody will see us. Ricky. What is it? Ricky! He's gone. He's gone. Excuse me, miss, but I thought I heard somebody talking in here. Stewardess, what are you doing up at this time of the night? If I might ask, miss, what are you doing up and dressed? Oh, you ought to get some sleep, miss. You really ought. It might interest you to know, stewardess, that I've just been talking to my husband. Now, look here, miss. Don't start that all over again. Please, don't start that all over again. You all pretended to think I was mad, didn't you? And you nearly drove me mad. Ricky's beaten the whole crowd of you, and I'm going out on deck to meet him now. Out on deck, miss. That's what I said. Where's my coat? Don't go out there, miss. Not in the state of mind you're in. And the fog's so thick, you can't hardly see your hand in front of your face. Stand away from the door, please. Suppose, miss... I didn't want to let you go out there. I don't think that would matter much. 
You've probably heard that mad people have ten times ordinary strength, and I'm stronger than you anyway. Miss, I'm a-begging you. Stand away from that door. you? Yes. Ricky. Ricky, darling, where are you? Here. Duck your head under the lifeboat. Here, take my hand. But isn't it horribly dangerous out there on the edge? There's no no railing along the side of the ship. Don't worry, Anne. I won't let you fall. Look out! Ah! Oh, went overboard here. We're well aft near the propellers. The suction would carry into the propeller blades and... Now listen. I can't hear anything except the foghorn. Yeah, but I can. There's somebody walking along the deck. And I can see a flashlight moving in the fog. You're quite right, oh, my friend. You can see a flashlight moving in the fog. Dr. Heinrich, what are you doing here? At the moment, young lady, I'm covering both of you with a revolver. Please don't move. So, you were in the conspiracy, Dr. Heinrich. May I ask you what conspiracy? The whole ship's conspiracy to say Richard Brewster didn't exist. My dear young lady, you can set your mind at rest. There never was any ship's conspiracy against you. The people you spoke to were perfectly honest. Including Mr. Marshall, I suppose. Yes, including Mr. Marshall. And what is this? Stand back there. I suppose he was telling the truth when he said nobody came up the gangplank before or after me. I beg your pardon. That was not what he said. He said no passenger came up the gangplank at this time. Well, what's the difference? A great crime is arranged for tonight, young lady. No less a crime than murder. Murder? Who's going to be murdered? You are. What? That, I repeat, is the scheme. But there is no conspiracy and only one criminal. Oh. And who is the criminal? The criminal is the man standing beside you. Your so-called husband. Ricky? Oh, you don't know what you're saying. I think I do. Marshall, of course, did see someone walk up the gangplank, loitering behind you. But he never dreamt of associating this person in any way with you. He saw a ship's officer returning from shore leave in civilian clothes. A ship's officer? Yes. The man you call your husband, his name isn't Richard Brewster. His real name is Blaney. And he's the first officer of the Moravania. Are you trying to tell the me captain that captain my... can identify him. He's actually British, though he can fake an American accent very well. He has already got a wife in England, and he is planning to join her with the $10,000 he got from you. I don't believe it. I don't... Ricky, why don't you say something? Oh, he planned it very cleverly, I must admit. He never let you know he was ship's officer, did he? He's been away for some time, naturally, so he persuaded you to marry him in a hurry. Ricky, Ricky, is this true? Yes, the money, you see. All he did was hang a dummy number on the cabin door, remove it later, put on his uniform, and walk away with his own luggage. But Captain Wainwright told us that the first officer had come aboard tonight with... Uh... With a bad attack of flu, yes. Our friend couldn't be seen in public... Until he, after he disposed of you. The best thing was to convince everybody you were insane, as he did. Then, when you went overboard tonight... They would all believe it was suicide. Exactly. But I began to suspect this Brewster, because you quoted him as telling such an obvious lie. He said he had never traveled in a Moravania, yet he could direct you all over the ship, and even knew where the person's office was. So I went to his cabin, found it empty... Searched and found your $10,000. Put it down, you fool. Put it down. 
shot him. You shot him. Your shots, my dear, never touched him. Never touched him? No. The weight of the iron carried him over backwards when he lifted it. It was the weight he was going to use to sink your body. Yes, they suck you under. Oh, doctor. Doctor, I can't stand this. It won't be easy, my dear. It won't be easy, I know, but... Believe me, this, this way is better. And so closes Cabin B-13, starring Margot and Philip Dawn. Tonight's tale of suspense. With our two stars tonight were Dennis Hoy as Captain Wainwright and William Johnstone as Ricky Brewster. This is the man in black who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next week, same time, when our star will be one of the screen year's most sensational newcomers, Mr. Gene Kelly. Mr. Kelly will be supported by Hans Conried and William Johnstone. The producer and director of Suspense is William Spear, who with Lud Gluskin and Lucian Morrowick, conductor and composer, and John Dixon Carr, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. Suspense fans, please note that these programs will shortly move to different days of the week. Suspense will come to listeners in Eastern and Central time zones on Thursdays, beginning December the 2nd, and to Mountain and Pacific time zone listeners on Monday, beginning December the 6th. Remember Thursday, beginning December the 2nd, in Eastern and Central time zone, and Mondays, beginning December the 6th, in the Pacific and Mountain time zones for Suspense. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. I hope you murder junkies got your fill in the first half hour. Welcome back to Ricky Jin's Old Time Radio. Now enjoy this episode of the adventures of Rocky Jordan entitled Everything Shipshape. Rocky Jordan. Not far from the Musk Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Cafe Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men. Alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's story, Everything Shipshape. There's nothing very exciting about the postman's morning visit to my cafe tambourine. The usual stack of bills, an ad for a new brand of Bolognacci, maybe. A copy of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. But this particular mail delivery brought something else. A business-sized envelope bearing a Syrian stamp. The letterhead inside carried the heading, Ship 
and shape enterprises, Beirut, Syria. And below, a curt message. Arrive in Cairo Thursday. Please arrange appointment at your cafe, 3.45 p.m. that day. Signed, Joshua Ship. So I wasn't a bit surprised when at exactly 3.45 p.m. the following Thursday, a little man sporting a cane and wax mustache darkened the tambourine's front door. He gave the place a quick once-over, nodded his approval, then he came directly back to my office, put down his briefcase, and wiped the sweatband of his derby hat with a silk handkerchief. Mr. Rocky Jordan? Yeah, that's right. How are you, Mr. Ship? Ah, you are right, Mr. Jordan. Joshua Ship. Excellent, thank you. Wonderful air trip from Beirut. Hey, you're right on time. Never keep a man waiting. Policy. Well, now that we're off on the right foot, shall we get right down to business? Oh, it depends on what you're selling. Selling, my man, selling. I can see you don't realize the importance of my visit. Suppose we get at it. Sit down, Mr. Ship. Thank you, Mr. Jordan. Uh, one moment, please. Oh, by the way, uh, how's Mr. Shape? Shape? Of ship and shape. Oh, the letterhead, of course. Old stationery, Mr. Jordan. Unfortunately, Mr. Shape is no longer with us. Hmm. Carry on, Mr. Ship. Oh, yes, of course. Now, Mr. Jordan, I represent a client, one A.K. Kessack. Kessack? I don't recognize the name. Quite true, Mr. Jordan. New in Cairo. I'm sure you will find doing business with my employer most profitable. Just what does A.K. want? Ah, now we get to the matter at hand. At A.K. Kessack's authorization, I am commissioned to buy your cafe tambourine. Who said I wanted to sell? We have discussed the matter with no one. Sorry, Mr. Ship. Just tell A.K. I like the place. Tambourine's not for sale. Top, top, my good man. You just go ahead and take a thorough inventory. Your equipment, spirits, food, tangible and intangible assets. Set your price, and then double it. Just like that. But we must have your answer quickly. I'll give you 24 hours to think it over, sir. 24 hours. Not a minute more? That is my deadline, sir. Ah, my address, of course. Joshua Ship. 394 Esbikia Plaza, Bungalow 6. Good day, sir. Joshua Ship hoisted his derby, thumped it with his finger, and set sail through the tambourine and out into the street. Well, I figured I'd had my kicks for the day and settled down to some paperwork in the office. It was just a few minutes later when I noticed somebody else coming through the tables toward my office. She could have been pretty, only her thin face was too tight, like a knot that needed untying, and her eyes had that wild look. I knew right then she was the kind of company I didn't want. Chris moved over from the bar. Hold on, lady, where you going? Take it easy. We don't want no trouble. Don't you touch me. Keep out of my way. Okay, Chris, I'll take over. Better watch the bar. Sure, Rocky. Guess you had one too much. I more. have not been drinking. I know what I'm doing. Where is that man? There are no customers in the office, lady. I know he came to see you. Tell me where that man is or I'll... Look, the door stays open. Now listen to me. You will listen to me. Hey, what's the idea? Put away that don't gun. Don't you dare touch me. Now for the last time, where is he? Where did he go? Well, it depends on who you're looking for. Joshua Ship. He's not here. What do you want with him? I'm going to kill him. Oh, get some sense, will you? And I'll kill you or anyone else who tries to stop me. I will shoot. I don't argue with hysterical women holding guns. But suppose you tell me what this is all about. I followed them all the way from Beirut. And I won't stop till I get them. You're from Beirut, too? Yes. Now, do you believe that I know what I'm doing? Maybe I do. Who are you? Ask Joshua Ship who I am. Ask him if he remembers Drina Ritar. And then tell him. Tell him I'm going to kill him. Tell him. He left here just a few minutes ago. Where did he go? I don't know. Now listen, Drina. Maybe you're no better than he is, and I don't care. But I'll tell you this, Rocky Jordan. No, stay back. Sorry, Drina. Give me that gun. Not a chance. Give it to me. Oh, please, please. Yeah, that's better. 
Suppose you sit down and tell me what this is all about. Rocky, don't sell the tambourine to that man. You know a lot, don't you? What's your interest, Trina? Just don't sell. They'll do the same to you as they did to my husband. Your husband? All right, let's have it. What are you talking about? I... Oh, I can't. I... Jonathan, he's... What about Jonathan? He's... Oh, please. I... I can't talk. I... Now, getting sense out of an hysterical woman is not one of my big points, so I stopped trying. I kept her gun in my pocket, got her address, and put her in a taxi for home. But it made me want some more conversation with Joshua Ship. So I sat down and figured out a price I was sure no one in their right mind would accept. Then I went over to his place on Esbikia Plaza. It was a real nice setup. Big fountain out in front, acacia trees along the tile walk. I found Bungalow 6 and Ship answered my buzz. Well, well, Mr. Dalton, come in, come in. Thanks. I've been thinking over your proposition, Mr. Ship. Fine, my man, fine. You came even sooner than I expected. I do lots of surprising things. Well, now, if you'll name your price for the temporary... Uh, Just a minute, Mr. Ship. I'd like to deal directly with a client. Well, uh, A.K. is very busy, you know, very busy. Too busy to swing an important deal like this? And so am I. Oh, oh, no. Top, top, my man. Don't be hasty. A.K. happens to be waiting in the next room. Just tell the big boss. I want to ask a few questions. Yes, of course. One moment, Mr. Johnson. Joshua Shipp stepped into the next room and spoke a few words. I waited just a few seconds. Then I met A.K. Kessack. Naturally, I expected A.K. to be a man. I was never so wrong in my life. She was all woman from the tips of her lacquered fingernails to the French perfume that rocked the room and Rocky Jordan. She let the doorway frame her sleek figure, and I wondered if she mightn't have been the shape of the firm of Ship and Shape. Any minute, I expected a rye crisp sign to light up over her head. She looked me over like a champ looks over the contender in the first round. Rocky George. Oh, this is a pleasure. Uh, unexpected pleasure, Miss Kessack. Yes, isn't it? Oh, please, sit down. Thanks. After you, lady. Now that we've met, Rocky, I'm quite sure we can do business. Yeah. We ought to get along real cozy. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, now then, my dear, shall we get on with the deal? Mr. Jordan has... Joshua, there's no hurry. But I'm sure there is, my dear, you see. By the way, Rocky, Joshua told me you were not interested in selling your cafe. Why did you change your mind? A lot of reasons, maybe including a couple of people named Drina and Jonathan Rittar. Friends of yours? I was about to ask the same question. Well, neither here nor there. Now, Mr. Jordan, your price for the tambourine. Ten thousand pounds, cash. Well, my dear? Write him a check, Joshua. Wait a minute, I said ten thousand pounds. That's forty thousand American dollars. You add very well, Rocky. What else can you do? I will prepare a bill of sale. We want to take possession of the tambourine immediately. Uh, why the hurry? Oh, don't be surprised, Rocky. Your cafe is ideal for our purpose. Your price is high, but we'll make it back quickly. On the dice tables alone. Dice tables? Of course. 
Don't tell me you object to the tambourine being used as a gambling casino. Oh, not especially, as long as I'm out of it. Out of it, Rocky? Oh, but surely you told him, Joshua. Hey, wait a minute. Told me what? Uh, perhaps I didn't make myself clear, Mr. Jordan. A necessary part of the deal is that you uh, remain at the tambourine. We supply the money and the know-how. You supply your good name, Rocky. You mean I front for your gambling setup? <laughs> Not in your life. At a good salary, of course. Say, 100 pounds a week. No deal. Not so fast, Mr. Jordan. Refuse and you get nothing. Okay, let's keep it that way. We do not like our time wasted, Mr. Jordan. Wait, Joshua. Rocky changed his mind once. I think he will change it again. I wouldn't count on it, lady. As I said, I'm quite sure you and I can do business. Goodbye, Rocky. She said it like she expected to see me again real soon. I walked out to the street wondering if she actually thought I was a sucker for that sort of a deal. I wondered something else. Neither Joshua Ship or Miss Kessack had batted an eye when I mentioned Drina and her husband's name. But I still wasn't sure. I couldn't go back to the tambourine till I'd satisfied my curiosity about Drina. So I dropped in on Captain Sam Sabaya at Cairo Police Headquarters to see what he knew. Jordan, uh, how do you manage to pick up such unusual friends? Uh, what have you got on her, Sam? Only what the Beirut police authorities have told me. Police? What's their interest? A dispatch from Beirut arrived this morning. They suggest that we keep an eye on her. She is a wild one. Huh? What else do they say? Jordan, what possible interest do you have in this case? Oh, just curious, Sam. Curious. Very well. This Drina Ritar became involved in serious trouble in Beirut. Her husband is now in prison. For what? Murder. What's the lowdown? They didn't go into detail. It seems that Drina and her husband Jonathan ran a cafe on the Beirut waterfront. There was some talk of gambling in connection with it. Gambling? What else? Well, there is little more. There was a fight there. A man was killed. Jonathan Ritar was convicted and sent off for several years. Who'd he kill? Well, the dispatch does not say. But be that as it may, we suspect that Drina is in Cairo to make trouble. She is being watched. Uh, well, if that's all you have, Sam, thanks. Oh, uh, Jordan, one moment. Hmm? Could it be that you are in danger from this lady? What gave you that idea? <laughs> well, Jordan, it is most unusual for you to be carrying a gun. That uh, bulge in your coat pocket. Oh, Oh, sure, yeah. It's, it's a gun. I've got a permit. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Please, let me see it. Sure, yeah. Look it over. Oh. Rather light for you, Jordan. Italian make. Where'd you get it? Oh, Sam, is this a shakedown? I, too, am a curious man, Jordan. Yeah. Needs oiling. So does that chair of yours, Sam. How about the gun? Mm-hmm, yes. Here you are. Thank you. And about this Drina, Jordan, remember... If she makes trouble, the police will take care of her. Well, Sam didn't give me much, just enough to help me decide to drop Drina, Kessack, Ship, and the whole business. I had a few things to do at the tambourine, so I wandered back that way. When I got there, a side of Turkish beef stood blocking the entrance. 
You'll stay outside, Mr. Jordan. Move the body, mister. I warn you, I am a very mean man. I'd get tough someplace else. I'm instructed to get tough right here, so don't try to go in. That's right, Tonto. We don't want Jordan around the temple Eve. Oh, Joshua Ship. This knuckle boy working for you? Quite right. And get him out of my doorway. Not your doorway, Jordan. You're driving at it. You just sold the tambourine to A.K. Kassak and me. You don't live here anymore. We don't want you around. Look, I told you the deal was off. Now get this overgrown camel out of my door. Stop it, I will do. I'm very dangerous. Man! Uh, now, Jordan, get it straight. The deal's closed. We did deposited the 10,000 pounds in your bank account, and the bill of sale is complete with your signature. Oh, reasonable facsimile. It'll do for now. So give me a forwarding address, and I'll send you your clothes. What makes you think I'm going anywhere? I took care of that, too. Here's a bonus, Jordan. A plane ticket to Rio de Janeiro. For me? That's right. They say it's wonderful there this time of year. Supposing I like Cairo better. Cairo can get hot, Jordan. Extremely hot. You are listening to Everything Shipshape. Tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. The Accused is coming to CBS listeners Monday night. Loretta Young, Robert Cummings, and Wendell Corey will bring this unusual psychological drama to life in all its stark reality. Don't miss the hour-long absorbing story on CBS Radio Theater at 6, Monday night. Now we return you to Cairo and tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Everything shipshape. After I refused to front for a gambling setup in my cafe, a couple of characters from Barut named A.K. Kessak and Joshua Ship got real busy. They faked a bill of sale for the tambourine, deposited a lot of money to my account in the bank, planted a big Turk in front of my place to keep me out. To top it off, Ship handed me a plane ticket to Rio de Janeiro, told me to clear out. Ordinarily, that'd be a nice, juicy job for the police. But first, there were a few angles I wanted to handle myself. So I got moving. Not to Rio, but to see Drina, the girl who had warned me not to sell the tambourine. Sabaya had given me part of her background, but I wanted the rest from her. She had a clean room and a little hotel along the Sharia Najim. When I knocked, she cracked the door and then opened it. Oh, Rocky, come in. Who are you hiding from, Drina? The police? I know they're following me, but I'm not hiding from them. Let them wonder what I'm doing in Cairo. I'd like to know myself. I told you to kill... Joshua's ship and that woman with him. Why? Didn't I explain? Well, you never got around to it. Suppose you cut out the dramatics this time and set a few things straight, huh? What are you trying to find out, Rocky? Who did your husband kill? He killed no one. Jonathan is no murderer. The Root police could give you quite an argument. Get out, Rocky. Go on, sell the tambourine to whoever you like. See what happens. Oh, I'm sorry I tried to warn Wait, you. Wait, Drina. Why not give it to me your way? Oh, you wouldn't believe me. Maybe I would. Let's have it. Oh, very well. Well, Jonathan and I had a little restaurant near the Beirut waterfront. One day he was approached by this Kessock woman and her two associates, Joshua Ship and Aaron Shape. Ship and Shape. Yes. Shape was the number one man with her then. They offered my husband a large sum of money for our cafe for a gambling setup. Jonathan was well known and liked in Beirut, so he was to front for the syndicate. Mm. <laughs> Does this all sound familiar, Rock? Yeah. Go on, Drina. Well, a short time later, Aaron Shape was. Killed in our cafe, but not by my husband. Who did it? A.K. Kessick. I'm sure of it, Rocky. Only they planted it on your husband, right? Yes. Yes, both the woman and ship testified that they saw my husband fire the gun. 
Well, he didn't have a chance. Why would Keswick want to get rid of her top man? He was getting a little too big. Besides, she was tired of him. You see, she always gets tired of him. After that, Joshua's ship moved in. And you're out to get them both. You think that'll help get your husband out of prison? Well, all I know is I, I've been able to think of nothing but killing them. Oh, now I... I don't know what to do. Look, Drina, I've got some things to settle with them, too. The best way I can check on them is to go along with the deal. But I, I told you what would happen. Uh, not if I keep ahead of them. Now, you better stay right here. I'll let you know how it's going. She put up some more argument, but she agreed to my plan when she learned how ship had moved in on the tambourine. Sam Sabaya might have worked out my end of the deal without too much trouble, but not Drina's. So I went back for another chat with A.K. at her bungalow on Esbikia Plaza. Somebody must have expected me because the side of beef wearing a fez was right outside the door. Ah, so, Mr. Jordan, you not smart and fly to Rio. Delay takeoff, Turner. Look, you're still in my way. I stay in your way. You not go in. Want to take bets on that? <laughs> you find out I'm a very dangerous man. Well, we compare muscles sometime. Move over, man mountain. I not. <laughs> so now we make big fight. I get me. Turner, let him come in. Mr. Ship say keep this kill bound. I wish him to come in. Run along now, Tarnoff. Him ship. Listen, AK, my dear. Do you think this is best? I have no objection to Rocky's visits, Joshua. Hey, you're here too, Mr. Ship. That's fine. Now we can all talk. Everything is settled, Jordan. You wanted out of the organization. We left you out. Why did you come here? To return the plane ticket. Plane ticket? What is this, Joshua? I, 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 I didn't think it necessary to tell you, my dear. Save the cover-up, Ship. Anyhow, you got me convinced. I'm ready to team up with you. It's too late, Jordan. You had your chance. Wait, Joshua, let me decide. So now you want in, Rocky. I think you are very smart. Yeah, smart. Okay, I'll front for your racket. But get this. I'm no patsy for either of you. The way Jonathan Rattar would. Mr. Jordan, what are you talking about? Cut it, Ship. You know who killed your partner's shape just as much as I do. And it wasn't Jonathan. Just don't try setting me up the same way. Stop, stop, my man. If you are in Joshua Rocky's only being frank. I like him that way. Now run along like a good boy. I have a few private things to discuss with Rocky. Now look here, my dear. I see no Don't reason. forget your gloves and cane, Joshua, and hurry along. Very well, my dear. I'll see you later, Mr. Jordan. Well, Hakey? I just thought we might drink to our new partnership. Bourbon? Straight. But easy on the knockout drops. Hmm? <laughs> are, are they necessary, Rocky? I wouldn't know. Now, to you and me. Just where does your uh, ship come in? It doesn't. Not anymore. Drink, Rocky. Yeah, beats the liquor at the tambourine. We'll change that, too, won't we? Yeah. Another? No, no, save it till we have more time. Going so soon, Rocky. Yeah, a few things to clear up at the tambourine, A.K. See you later. When I got outside, just as I expected, Joshua's ship was waiting for me up by the fountain. He stood there tapping his cane on the tile walk till I was alongside. Then ship 
tack to the starboard, full sail, and stood with his feet wide apart. One moment, Mr. Jordan. Well, we've got everything settled, Mr. Ship. Not a thing to worry about. There's plenty for you to worry about, my man. Enough, Mr. Jordan. I demand to know your intentions toward Miss Kessack. We all take our turns, don't we? It was your partner, Shape, first, wasn't it? Before she killed him? I'm quite aware that Alan Shape held her affections. I'm also aware that A.K. tires quickly, as she did of him. Why confide in me? Because I want you to know that I will not give her up so easily. Look, Joshua, this is all very interesting. You will keep away from her, Mr. Jordan. This is a warning. Maybe this is something for her to decide. Why not go to A.K. and talk it over? I most certainly shall. I'm going to lay down the law to her immediately. We'll have it out once and for all. Ah, good boy. And when you talk to her, be sure to take off your hat. I couldn't resist the temptation, so I reached over and thumped his derby with my finger. He grabbed for it and gave me a dirty look. It was just a little insurance to keep him in a fighting mood. I did want to get back to the tambourine, but Drina's place wasn't far out of the way, so I stopped by to keep her posted. Well, Rocky. I was hoping there'd be a weak link in the setup, Drina, and I think I've found it. Oh, Joshua Ship? Yeah. He's got something in his mind besides gambling. Her name is A.K. Kessai. Yes, yes, I know. He's insanely jealous of her. Well, I'm going to go work on that. Sooner or later, he'll do something to break it up. Maybe try to get me out of the way. What happens then? We'll just wait and see. So far, my plan seems to be working. Rocky, do you trust me? Sure, Drina. Why? Then perhaps you'd uh, let me have my gun back? Sure, you can have it. Well, wait a minute. Don't you have it? It's gone. Well, the only way I could get out of my pocket was for somebody to take it out. But who, Rocky? A.K. Kessak. See you later, Trina. Where are you going, Rocky? So get your gun back. I wasn't willing to concede even the first round to A.K. Kessak, but right then it looked like she'd scored all the points. Why she had slipped the gun out of my pocket was something I wanted to find out quick. This time, no one tried to stop me at the bungalow, and the door was unlocked. Come in, Rocky. Close the door. It was A.K. Kessak waving me in with Drina's gun. Across the room, against the wall, stood Joshua Ship, beads of sweat dripping from his wax mustache. From where I stood, my little plan had backfired right in my face. I knew you'd come back, Rocky. Well, uh, don't let me interrupt an argument. Oh, you won't. We'll settle it, the argument, very shortly. Jordan, talk to her. Tell her she can't do this. Please, Jordan. Stop crying, Joshua. You better brief me, A.K. Very simple, Rocky. I'm going to kill him. No, my dear, no. Just like you killed Aaron's shape? I think I know why. I'm through with him. He's getting too big, giving me too much trouble. You see, I don't think he likes you, Rocky. You don't need much reason, do you? What makes you think you can get away with this? You can't just Oh, can't I? You see this gun, Rocky? Only two people have any motive to kill Joshua. You and Greena. This is her gun. You took it from her. Do I make myself clear? Sure. You can lay the blame on either one or both of us. Not necessarily. You can both keep quiet. We'll dump Joshua's ship in the Nile. Okay, my dear, you can't. And do this no to me. one will be the wiser. Will they, Rocky? Well, make up your mind. I can't speak for Drina. Then bring her here. Go to the phone there and call her. Tell her to come at once. But be careful. I never hesitate when it is necessary to kill. Is that an order? A.K always gives the orders. Call Drain at once. Uh, give me uh, Drina Ritar. Yeah. Hello, Drina. Rocky Jordan. Listen, I'm at 394 Esbekia Place, Bungalow 6. 
You got that? Yeah, I've got to see you right away. It's very important. Uh, don't ask questions. Just come right over. Yes, right away, Drina. Goodbye. Thank you, Rocky. Now we have a little wait. Then it will be all over. What then? Just you and me, Rocky. Yeah, but for how long? Until I'm tired of you. I'm tired of you already. But there isn't much you can do about it. Is there, Rocky? You're listening to Everything Shipshape, tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. There are more treats for CBS listeners on Tuesday night when you'll find as many chuckles as clues on the Mr. and Mrs. North program. Meet Jerry and Pamela North at 8.30 Tuesday night. Yes, you'll find mystery better on CBS. Now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Everything shipshape. A.K. Kessak held a gun with a right hand and an Egyptian cigarette with the other. We waited for Drina to arrive. There wasn't much doubt in Joshua's ship's mind or mine what would happen once Drina got there. A.K. was lighting her fourth cigarette when the buzzer sounded. Rocky, ask who it is. A.K., my dear, for the last time, I beg Be you... quiet. <laughs> Go on, Rocky, quick. Who is it? It's Drina, Rocky. No. Tell her to come in. Come in, Drina. No! No! Stand still, Rina, don't move. Rocky, she, she's killed him. <laughs> Surely you're not sorry, Drina. You wanted Joshua's ship dead, so I took care of it with the last two bullets in your gun. Here. Pick it up. The most charming confession, Miss Kessak. What? Come in, Sam. Thank you, Jordan. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the scene of a murder for a change. So, Drina, you brought the police here. You little child. Do not move, Miss Kesak. It is I who hold a gun now. Greco, Ali, take care of this man quickly. I should have killed Drina, too. Let us have it understood, Miss Kesak. I did not bring the police, but I knew they would be following me. And for once, I didn't mind. I'm quite sure Jordan knew I was following you, too. That's right, Sam. But it's okay now, Drina. They won't be telling you anymore. Jordan, the next time perhaps you will be kind enough to tell me of these things beforehand. You might have prevented a murder. You know, Sam, you're absolutely right. Well, the way things worked out, A.K. Kessak figured two more murder raps were no worse than one. So she finally confessed to the killing of Aaron Shape. I now have a standing invitation to visit Drina and her husband at their waterfront cafe in Beirut. Oh, about my tambourine, I decided to let the phony sale stand. Anyhow, the $40,000 in the bank was mine, so I bought the tambourine back from AK for half that amount. She didn't care. For me, 20000 profit for the day wasn't bad. You know, looking back, it's been quite some time since I made anything out of one of these deals.
CBS again at the same time next week for another story of adventure and intrigue when we take you back to Cairo and the cafe tambourine run by Rocky Jordan. Jack Moyles plays the title role with tonight's story by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman. Rocky Jordan is produced and directed by Cliff Howell with original music by Richard Arant. Larry Thor speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. again next week at the same time on the mighty K-O-N-R. Don't forget to play What Will Mrs. Thompson Say at LGAP.com. Now, stay tuned for the Sam Squatch Report.